श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री कृष्ण जन्माष्टमी महामहोत्सव की गौ भक्तवृंद की जय गौ प्रेमानंदे So we gathered here it's such a nice setting amidst the uh, California redwoods trees are at least a thousand years old right two maybe some of them so they have a long history of experience here I want to read a little bit from the Gita. From chapter 10. Chapter 10 overflows into the uh, chapter 9 overflows into chapter 10 in terms of the emotional condition of Sri Krishna who earlier in chapter 9, the subject of chapter 9 is is pure bhakti. Hmm? And so he, as he, of course he speaks about different types of bhakti and other paths and contrasts them with bhakti to showcase the path that's about himself and so forth, that endears him and so on. And so he kind of gets reaches an emotional pitch in that chapter, speaking about his devotees, his love for them, and so forth. And as I say, it overflows into this chapter, into uh, four verses that uh, the great and venerable uh, saint in our lineage from a few hundred years back, Vishnu Chakrati Thakur, um, called the Chatur Shloki of the Bhagavad Gita. Four, Chatur means four events, or essential shlokas or verses of the Gita. Hmm. And they're very rich with uh, devotion and there we find Krishna speaking from the perspective, from the vantage point of his uh, Brajalila, which is the, his forest uh, Leela. There we find the, um, perhaps as a uh, figure of the Godhead, the most environmentally uh, sensitive uh, deity hmm? and with the wealth of uh, philosophy and theology underlying his uh, rural life, his attunement uh, to nature, the natural um, ornaments of Krishna are uh, the various uh, clays from the Vrindavan soil in the forest mixed together with with the musk of the deer and uh, uh, other such, like the, the cow urine hmm, mixed in certain way to bring a yellow color and painting himself and his friends and, and so on and so forth. Um, so he would spend, of course, his whole day at a certain point um, from his, in his youth, from about just very early on in the Kumar Leela, three and a half so years old, he began herding the calves, and then, then at, at about four or so, five, the cows, and every day we'd go into the, to the forest with the cows. Hmm? 
and um, engage in various sports with his friends. This is very uh, prominently portrayed in Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, his, his, uh, his identity as a cowherder, Stakirasa, is very much uh, um, central to those forest um, pastimes with his friends. <clears throat> and that aspect of himself, this is Swami Bhagavan, the, the original kind of heart there are different, like we say, there are different avatars, so there are different manifestations of Krishna as well. Avatars of Krishna and Krishna manifesting in different forms, slightly different from his original Vrindavan form relative to the hearts of different types of devotees. But the Vrindavan Krishna, this is the, uh, is kind of the, the fountainhead of all Avatars. I've given an example before, maybe we mentioned it the other night. If you want to play, then you have to have some power. So, if you want to come on a vacation, take time off, you have to have worked and saved, and that's your power and so forth. So, Krishna is depicted as only playing hmm? all day long, um, which means the implication is, of course, that it's subtle because in the Hindu pantheon, you've got Shiva with a trident looks pretty powerful, <laughs> dressed in ashes only. Brahma's got four heads, looks pretty thoughtful. And Indra's got eyes all over his body, depicted. And different goddesses like Durga, she's riding on a tiger, looks pretty fearsome, and, and so forth. These are various images of power, thoughtfulness, the Shiva, the power of renunciation. So I say dressed only in ashes. Hmm? And, uh, and Brahma, the power of organization with four heads, the creator, God, and so on and so forth. Indra is the covered with Oz. He's the god of the sensuous heavens and uh, and and whatnot. So Krishna, then you know, he's just uh, just playing, but a little thoughtfulness reveals, as I'm saying, the philosophical point. He who is only playing, who has nothing to accomplish, hmm, must be all-powerful. Hmm. So that is, again, something we've been talking about over the last week, this balance between what we call Madhurya and Aishwarya. Madhurya means sweet, like madhu, like honey. Hmm. And Aishwarya means like powerful, like a, a, another worldly display of power, opulence. Uh, you know, he's very wealthy, very famous, very strong, stands out amongst others and so forth. So these two sides of the Godhead, his Aishvarya, his Madhurya. The Madhurya comes in, in the form of Krishna. Hmm? And because he is the Brahman and acts sweetly, which means human-like in a charming way, it becomes charming. If an ordinary person does it, it may not be as charming. But if God does that, then that's certainly um, something to take note of. And so this chapter, this comes out nicely also, because I say it, the overflow of the, his own emotion of devote, uh, of love for his devotees carries him into this chapter and he speaks about himself in terms of his most intimate uh, expression 
Ramanti Cha, Tushanti Cha, Ramanti Cha, and our Acharyas, saints, and so forth have identified here. Here is Brajananda Krishna, Shamananda Krishna, Shamsundar Krishna. Krishna is on the battlefield with Arjuna in a particular relationship, and he's speaking Upanishadic wisdom and so forth, but he, he, this other side of himself comes out in these, these four verses. So, Vishwana said, Here's the essential verses. Of the Gita. Here we hear the voice of Shamsundar. He's speaking about Dharma, and of course, Prema Dharma hmm, is the high pitch, the high end of Dharma that reaches its zenith in Vrindavan. So he's gone there, he's spoken about himself from that perspective, and he began those four verses by saying, Aham Sarvasya Prabhavo, which is the Aishvari. He says, I'm the source of everything. Matasavam Prabhartati, everything comes from me. He says that understanding this point, then one becomes, uh, is able then, to the extent that we understand this point, one, is, one becomes able to, uh, to, in, um, to engage in, uh, in Buddha Bhava Samanvita. Sridhar like to render it Raga Bhava in the kind of love that the, we see uh, embodied in the, his devotees in the Vrindavan forest and pastoral setting, hmm? Ragmarg. Um, so it's an interesting coming together of these two ends of the spectrum, the Madhurya and the Aishvarya. You have to understand the Aishvarya, the, the supreme position of Krishna, so to speak, uh, in order to forget about that, because in the love of Vrindavan, the devotees don't think he's God. Hmm? But for us to get there, first we have to, if we are going to give without any reservation on our side, without any, any motivation, selflessly, we have to find that source that can take unlimitedly. We may repose our love in one object or another object, one person or another person, or our sense of what a person is, but that may be here today and it may be gone tomorrow. Hmm? I invested all of my loving capacity, even if I could do it completely and selflessly, hmm? then the object disappears in due course, Then, so it's problematic. And can that object take unlimitedly, receive unlimitedly? Hmm? So to locate, so in order to have perfect love, you have to have these two things. You have to give without any other motive, selflessly. What do they say? They call it um, unconditional love. Ahaituki bhakti, to put it in Sanskrit. Ahaituki bhakti, unalloyed love, unconditional love. And that's on your side, and then it ha in order to do that, it has to you have to find someone who can take unlimitedly. Hmm? This is the, the center. Hmm? So Krishna declares himself as such to Arjuna, hmm? and we are to take uh, take take note of that. The center has, is, is identifying himself, something like that. Hmm? Of course, when we talk about giving without conditions. We have to think deeply and realize that that we are in a particular condition of embodiment 
identification with matter that has a pull upon us. There are demands that that that, that which we've identified with is imp- are, is imposing upon us, and so really, if love is to be unconditional, hmm, it has to be such that it can transcend the condition that we're in that turns us to one extent or another into a taker. Do you follow me? As much as we've identified with matter, then in order to sustain that sense of identity, we have to take. I've often said our sense of I in this world is derived from our sense of my. What I think is mine determines my identity. It's my country. I am an American. It's my family. I am a father. I'm the father. It's my company, my job, my house, my car, my... And then, you know, psychology, they got it figured out. This is you. And there's that, you know, the Volvo, you know, on the screen or, you know, whatever it is they're advertising. And it's just, that's me. So <laughs> we are defined materially by our desires is the point. Hmm? And so in order to maintain that sense of I, we have to be on the take because it looks like it's, it, it's, it needs to be protected. It might be, it might disappear. It's, in, it's a threatened existence. Hmm? Because what's yours? <laughs> you understand? Right? You think this is mine, and to whatever extent you think something is yours, that has, is a factor in your identity. So when that thing proves not to be yours, which is the case with all things, where is your identity gone? Hmm? It's disappeared. So this identity is hard to maintain. It, this, is, this, is a, this is a problem. Because the simple fact is, it's based on the sense of ownership, and the reality is, nothing belongs to us. And time uh, is showing us that at every single second. Hmm? This is not the book knowledge. The book is meant to help us look at the world and listen, and listen to the world and what it says to us. You know, there's a beautiful verse of Bhagavatam I like to cite, very poetic. You know it? Ayur Harati Vaipum Sam. He's listening well, you see. Ujjanastan, I know some of you also know. Ujjanastan Chayanaso. Ayur Harati Vaipum Sam. Ujjanastan Chayanaso. It means with the rising and the setting of the sun, Ayur Harati. Ayur means life. So, life is being Harati taken away. Hmm? And this word harati, hmm? this is what, where hari comes from. This is the name of Krishna, actually. Hmm? It means who steals away, hmm? who takes away. So the, the, the movement of the sun, the rising and the setting of the sun, this is in Sanskrit poetry, the kal chakra, hmm? the, ch- the wheel, the disc, the wheel of, uh, of time. Hmm? What could speak louder to us than the sun? Comes in the morning and sets. And, and, and it's speaking very loudly to us, but we aren't listening and looking at nature, for example, and in drawing from it the lessons 
that it uh, seeks to, 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 to tell us about. We're, we're not paying attention. How important is the sun? How, how big of a factor is it? Well, if it didn't come up one day, we would know, wouldn't we? It would make the headlines, but maybe we couldn't read it. There wouldn't be enough light. Uh, so it's a huge voice, if you will. And the Rishis would look, go to a peaceful setting like the forest, like this, and, and then listen, observe. Right? And then, and then th- th- these verses would come from that. Hmm? The Rishi Sukadev, right? Hmm? Uh, he went to the forest. Without any, the story is because he was in the womb for 16 years. He wasn't moving because he had no desire, so he wouldn't come out. It was a problem for Vyasa's wife, as you can imagine. So Krishna was coaxed from Dwarka, said, help me get my son out. Uh, so he said, he's not coming out because he doesn't want to be distracted by, the, by, by worldliness. So Krishna gave him a blessing, come out, you won't be distracted. He came out, and they just went to the forest. And he learned these kind of lessons to one extent or another, and then, of course, his father tried to retrieve him back, and he sent some poetry from the Bhagavatam. He heard it, he followed the poetry, he learned the Bhagavatam itself, but he was attentive, he was paying attention to nature, and uh, and... So while he learned Bhagavatam from his father in one form, now he's speaking it to Sukadev. He comes out with a verse like this. You can see, Ayurati Bhai Pumsamudanastanti Anaso. He tells the, 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 the Raj, the king, who's dying. We're dying with every rising and setting of the sun. Ayurati, our life is being taken away. Sounds very pessimistic. But then he says, Tasyati Yachano Nitya Uttamasvokavarta. First of all, it's never pessimistic, really, to uh, to embrace the truth. It may be pessimistic because of our illusory stance and our hopefulness, false aspirations, and so forth. Hmm? But to dethrone those false aspirations uh, that will never be realized, hmm? that's not pessimistic. Hmm? Hmm? How pessimistic is it to be fostering hopes and dreams that will never come through, come true, come true. Hmm? What, what is the value of such false uh, optimism? That's, a, that's very uh, delusionary, delude, delude, deluding. Hmm? So, he wants to bring us to our senses so, with this kind of verse. But he says, Tasyarte, Bhagavatam doesn't end there with painting a, 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 a clear picture of, of material life and, and how it's nothing to be optimistic about hmm? in and of itself. Hmm? Surrounded on each end by birth and death, and in between, old age and disease are coming, and so forth. Hmm? So, that was the Buddha's thought. You know, the Buddha was a prince, and the astrologer told at his birth that um, he's either going to be a great prince or a great ascetic, a renunciate. So the father thought, well, let's keep him in the palace and give him a you know a, a royal life so that he never thinks that has any negative impetus for renouncing the whole thing hmm. but uh boys will be boys i guess so he one day he had he was with on the chariot 
and the chariot driver told him, well, you know, go through that gate. And, went, and the story goes, so he went out, and along the road he saw a child being born. And then he said, what's that? That's birth. He said, look painful. <laughs> well, he said, he said, how often is, you know, does that happen? And the chariot cheer laughed. He said, that happens to everybody. Hmm? Nobody, nobody avoids that. So they drove a little further, and then he saw um, an infirmed person, a sick person, a leper. Said, What's that? He says, that's disease. He said, well, how does that happen? He says, nobody's, everybody gets disease, some form. So he just nodded his head to go further, right? And then they saw, and he saw old man, you know, old age. It can be painful physically. It can be painful psychologically. Hmm? We're trying to bring a remedy to that, of course. So he said, what's that? Oh, that's old age. And who has to experience that? Well, everybody, my dear young prince. They went a little further, and they saw a dying person in death. And he said, and how many people experience that? Death is for everyone, 100%, they say. It hasn't changed. So once he saw birth, once he saw uh, uh, disease, once he saw old age, once he saw death... He left the kingdom, became the Buddha, became an ascetic. Once seeing these things, we are seeing it and not looking at it every day. You see, you drive to the ashram and so many bugs are dying on the windshield. You know, just wipe them off, keep going. <laughs> so, this is Martilokam. Sounds pessimistic, but place of dying. You're born to die here. In terms of the identity that we fashioned for ourselves, out of a sense of mine, hmm, that is illusory. Nothing belongs to us. Ayur harati by pumsam. Life is being taken away as we know it, with the rising, the setting of the sun. Except, Bhagavatam says, for that one, for those who hmm, are always singing about um, about Krishna. Who? And what does that mean? Uttama Sloka Varte, who are always speaking about Krishna. That means for those who are always speaking about the proprietor, who actually owns everything. Hmm? Knowing the proprietor, if we are a little bit honest, then we know the proprietor, then the taking tendency is in, in us of something that's not ours is, 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 uh, is eradicated. Let's say you're standing in line at the grocery store hmm? and so somebody drops a $20 bill in front of you so you know you know it belongs to her so you know you pick it up and you, and, and you give it to her if you found it on the street and you look around you know there's nobody there take it for myself so knowledge of the actual proprietor of something like it used to be in times gone by I don't know how it's like today but Girls used to get, young ladies used to get a ring on their, this was the ring finger. And um, and then so if a, if a young guy would see, she's got a ring, then he'd back off. You know, he'd say, oh, she's taken it. <laughs> uh, she's spoken for or whatever. And this is, as I said, time's gone by. But, um, uh, or he could think, she took somebody. Yeah, that also was that. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, 
Uttamaslokavarte, it means the one who's always speaking about the proprietor. The one who then, it, by speaking about, means the philosophy underlies all this Uttamasloka Krishna, who's praised by beautiful poetry, it means. It means then starting to, this is the beginning of what we call Krishna consciousness. We see everything in relation to Krishna, to the proprietor, and we start then to use things in the service of Bhagavan. We don't have to let go of anything. Hmm? We can we can sing, we can dance, these are human activities, we can shop. Rudrani and Drista brought me beautiful necklaces um, for uh, the deities, Gornitai, for, for Janmastami. Hmm? Beautiful. So they went shopping. Hmm? But for the proprietor, he owns everything, so it's just play. It's just a leela that you go and buy something from. And he steals things. That's just play too. Hmm? That's his leela. Everything belongs to him. So those who know that, they start to conduct themselves accordingly. Hmm? Then that rising and the setting of the sun is not taking away their life. They, are volunt- they are reading the environment and saying, I'm unplugging from this false identity because it can't be endured. I'm giving up owning everything. I'm acknowledging who actually owns and I'm, I'm working for that. Hmm? This is a labor of, of love. So an, you can understand from that another identity is being formed from that. Hmm? Because it will come to a point where you think everything belongs to Krishna. I belong to Krishna. I am Krishna's. And then it will be Krishna is mine. Hmm? You understand? The more you identify. First, the beginning of love is, okay, it doesn't belong to me. Okay. Hmm? I've worked hard. I've made this money. I've got my disposable income now. You know, but I should give it for, for, for printing the Bhagavad Gita, something like that. I'll use it for, for to, to, to go across the country and uh, come to Audarya and, uh, and associate with the devotees and celebrate Janamastami and I'll, I'll use it like that. Hmm? So gradually we are using the things and we come in touch with and seeing things in relation and, and, we, and as we do that this, I, this false identity starts to unwind hmm? and that's the beginning, that's the foundation, the hole in the ground that makes the building makes it possible for the building to go up, for the, the saving, serving ego and a role in the leela to, to emerge, right? Hmm? And as it, as it, the heart is emptied out of any other desire and that false identity is dissolved hmm? um, in the context of bhakti, the other spiritual identity is emerging I belong to Krishna. First, it's things of mine belong to Krishna. I should recognize that. And then, it's, then it comes, I belong. I've not, got nothing left. I give myself. And then it reaches the pitch that you've given yourself to someone so much, you're so identified with them hmm, that you start to think, they're mine. They belong to me. We're one, in other words. So, Prem is characterized by this. It's called Mamata. Minus, minus, not minus, but minus. Hmm? It's a plus. Hmm? <laughs> so we have to get rid of the my. Nothing belongs to me. 
And we say everything belongs to Krishna. We realize I belong to Krishna. And so I'm Krishna's. And then the love becomes so rich, so profound that we start to think Krishna's mine because he starts to act like that. Hmm? Krishna reciprocates like that. Hmm? The Godhead starts to respond. You've given yourself completely. It's not a one-sided. He's going on that side. He's been dra being drawn to that bhakti. Drawn to that bhakti. Hmm? So this bhakti takes the jiva, the soul, atma, and Bhagwan and brings them together in a union. Hmm? And this minus them, mine, Krishna's mind, mamata, as if this, this defines this brain. Hmm? So in order to get there, and in that stage, Krishna's mind, we're not thinking, Krishna's God, I should worship him, everything belongs to him, and so forth. They are playing with him in the Leela. The cowherds, these friends of Krishna, for example, the cows, they're playing with God. Hmm? The, the, the infinite has taken a finite-like shape for the sake of intimacy with the, with, with, with the finite. Hmm? And the devotees in that situation, they don't think that Krishna's God. They've, they've forgotten that. And Krishna has forgotten it. That's pretty interesting. His omniscience, his Aishvari, is not lost. It's there in the background. So he can hear our prayers from this side, hmm? if they're really sincere. <laughs> because he's lost in, in a union with these devotees whose love has reached such a pitch that, they've, that, that they're, they're like, like uh, one in a, in a dynamic, loving union. He's lost in Radha's love for him. This is what Krishna means. Brahman lost by the power of the bhakti of Radhika. How are we going to contact him? <laughs> you know, we're going to bring him back to his senses. You're omniscient. Hear my prayer. So, so we've got to be sincere in our, in our practice is the idea. Hmm? We have to learn this first part, what this chapter kind of begins with, Ahamsara Siprabhabho. This is his position. Start to give everything to him, he said. Understanding this, then we can have in place one element that we need. We found the center. Now we just have to give without any conditions. And that means eventually in time overcoming the very condition of material existence, the identity, the false identity that we have. Coming out from that, as long as I'm conditioned by bodily necessities and identification with them, hmm? my giving is going to be compromised. So we have to transcend bodily conception of life and go much even further than that to enter this plane. So here, anyway, this point is made first. And then he speaks about his sweetness and in four verses, how he reciprocates with his intimate devotees and so on. So Arjuna has heard this now in this 10th chapter. The chapter is called Vibhuti Yoga. Vibhuti Yoga. And so I'll explain that. But he says, Arjuna says, that's incredible. Hmm? Wow. He said, I believe everything you're saying. Please tell me this. Tell me, he, he does this kind of for our sake. Arjuna's being used by Krishna to teach us. He says, 
Tell me about how in this world I can begin to see you. Hmm? You're the source of everything. That's kind of interesting, but it's a little abstract. So give me a handle, something that I can get a grip on, how I can recognize you in all in 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 the world. Hmm? So he, he he says, tell me about the ways in which your you can be identified. And Krishna begins description of what's called vibhuti. It's a type of avatar. So we're discussing avatar topics. We're discussing about the idea of what is the what is the meaning of avatar? The dis- avatara, the crossing from up to down on the part of the absolute. Hmm? So is all in relation to Janmastami. So, so he says, well, all right. Hmm? On a low level, I'll speak about my my nature. Hmm? We speak about a high level, love of God and intimacy. So he says, give me some way, and I. I can get a handle. So Krishna says, all right, look at it like this. Amongst immovable things, I am the Himalayas. Amongst bodies of water, I am the ocean. Hmm? goes through a whole list of all these. Hmm? So many things. And then he, so these, he says, he comes to the end, he says, um, he gets, what does he say? He says, Yad yad vibhuti bat sattvam srimad ujjitam evava. Tattat evava gachatam mamatejos masambaram. And then he concludes the chapter. Atava bahunaitena kim gnatena tavarjuna vishtabhyahamidam kritsdam ekam senas dito jagat. Very nice. When he started talking about the vibhutis, the way in which I'm in the world, first thing he said, this is the end here, first thing he said was, I am the Antaryami, I'm in your heart. Hmm? I'm, I'm in the heart of every, I'm in the atom, in every atom, and you are smaller than the atom. Hmm? Way smaller than the atom. Hmm? The scripture says, though, the soul is one ten thousand the size of the tip of a hair. Because at that time, they didn't have any instruments to measure such a thing. So they wanted to say, I'll tell you how small, small the soul is. Like one ten thousandth the size of the tip of the hair, which means immeasurably small. Hmm? Nowadays, you might have an instrument that you could measure one ten thousandth the size of the tip of the hair. So we, had, we need another analogy. Hmm? <laughs> you understand? The point remains, the analogy may need to change. Adam is what this, I guess, the smallest part, or inside that there's other parts? Protons, quarks, neutrons, or whatever. Uh, electrons, whatever they are. And then we know what? There's something inside there. There's some inside that. They, they try to get away from the subjective side of the world to dismiss it and examine the objective side, the world of matter, of things, and look at the smallest parts and try to figure out what's at the bottom of it all. When they got inside the atom, they found themselves looking back out. Hmm? Right? In quantum physics, then the observer, that means consciousness, again comes into play. 
couldn't get away. They went as far into matter as they could to try to give a material explanation of everything. Hmm? In other words, we dissect this part, okay, and then we dissect that part and that part. We're going to get to the bottom of what it's all made out of, where it all comes from. It's a noble pursuit. Where do we all come from? What is everything? This is a human pursuit. They get to the bottom, and they were thinking it was matter, and they found out, well, the observer has a, is a factor. How much? Huge factor. And this, is, this was beginning in like the 1920s or so, right? Quantum theory. It's, and it's gone a ways from there, and it's, 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 um, it's becoming more apparent to the objective people in the scientific community who aren't as invested in a materialistic necessity, that uh, physicalist, naturalist worldview, uh, you know, I call it naturalist, uh, metaphysical naturalism. Hmm? It's really a religion. <laughs> it's a it posits, so it's a faith. Hmm? It can't be demonstrated. So anyway, some people, objective people in the scientific community, they think, well, it's materialism. We're not really able to demonstrate that that well. We, you know, we're having a problem. When we hit consciousness, it gets even worse. And Maybe there's another way to look at it. Of course, the Rishis have been looking at it differently for a long time. Hmm. It's a good book called Naturalism I read recently, worth reading. Um, at any rate, I forget the author's name. When beginning to speak about his vibhuti, his opulence, he speaks about that I am in every atom. Hmm? And I am in your, in you. And the soul, the atma, is smaller than the, than the tiniest, tiniest atomic particle. So I'm there. Now he's at, now he's at the other end of the spectrum. This is called in Sanskrit antaryami or the the um, chirodakshai vishnu. Chirodakshai, chirodakshai vishnu. The end he talks about the mahavishnu. This is all paramatma, feature of of the Godhead overseeing the world. Smaller than the smallest, inside the immeasurably small soul. Hmm? In other words, we are immeasurably small, but Krishna is immeasurably smaller. Hmm? One of my godbrothers once told Prabhupada, said, Prabhupada, I'm so ins- I think I'm the most insignificant person. And Prabhupada said, you're not the most anything. <laughs> so... <laughs> The soul is immeasurably small and Krishna is immeasurably smaller and immeasurably bigger also. So these, these two ends of the spectrum, the Vishnu poetically depicted as the source of all the, uni- the multiverse, universes coming out of the pores of his body, hmm? innumerable universes. And then he enters into each universe, that's another manifestation of Vishnu, and then within each universe into every atom and every soul. He's got it all covered. Vishnu means all-pervasive. He doesn't miss a thing. Hmm? It's the idea of, of God. Doesn't miss a thing. Hmm? Can't hide from him. We may think we can. That is our illusion. Hmm? That's why we need to universe, universe, understand the universality of our deity. Because we act one day, one way, when we're in a temple. Another way, when we're, when we're alone. But they're never alone. Hmm? So we're supposed to worship, 
engage, meditate in such a way that the object of our meditation, that we come to understand the universality of it, hmm? that God is with us all the time, always, as the Paramatma, witnessing. Hmm? We think the deities here, I've got a little closet, I keep them here, close the door, then why don't we have a party, open, whatever. Hmm? Yeah. No, everywhere. <laughs> so the party when you open and then you enter into that hmm, little little room there, little your altar space and and you never come out. It's bigger than the whole world. When you speak of your house and your your idea, my house, my land, my place, fought for. Hmm? Hard fought. Hmm? struggle for existence. So he begins by mentioning the, uh, the, 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 the Antaryami and he ends by mentioning the Mahavishnu, the Chirodaksha Vishnu, the Mahavishnu. And he says here in this context, he says that Simad Urjitam Evava. He said all, all these things Srimad Urjitam Evava. All these things I've mentioned, all these ways in which I can be understood or thought. It's a way of thinking about seeing the world. It's a kind of in a very basic sense in reminding yourself of the presence of God. Because we're always in the presence of some powerful manifestation of nature that is in, that is that we're dependent on or that can create some sense of awe within us and a sense of our smallness and so forth. Not far from here, only about 12 miles from Madari is, is the ocean. Hmm? You get a chance to drive out there hmm? to Elk. And you get to the ocean, it's just very, oh, you know, when you get there, it's very beautiful. Hmm? Black sand, and it's that, you know, you have to go down to it. And just You come through the fog, and out, and there's the ocean. Krishna says, there are bodies of water, I am the ocean. You know, you stand at the, at the shore, and it seems limitless, and it's awe-inspiring, Everybody has these awe-inspiring moments and so forth. These are not the same as the deep moments of meditative experience of the self and of Godhead. But they are, nonetheless, a kind of a quasi-spiritual experience. That's why there are people, atheistic people, for example, in the world, they go and they have an ah-ah moment. Hmm? You know, they're in the mountain peak and they're looking out and they see, and they're just inspired. And there you see just a fantastic sunset without any, you know, nothing to improve on it, just a sunset. And, um, and you see the ocean or whatever, and anything that's inspiring. And so then they think, yeah, I know what people talk about the experience God, you know. I, I've had those moments, you know. Nature's fantastic. It's the natural world is beautiful and it, it can catch your breath sometimes. This is only a very beginning kind of idea that if you if you have that experience of when that when you do, you you develop on that. You become reverential. Hmm? You start to see yourself more as a object than a subject. It's a very interesting concept. Hmm? The materialistic way of looking at the world is I'm the subject 
and everything is an object for me to take and use and for my purposes. To one extent or another, we look at the world, it's how it will serve me, how it will facilitate me. Unconsciously, it sounds gross, we think, I don't do that, but we do do that. <laughs> you know, how, how it's going to serve my purpose. And my purpose is a self-created purpose hmm? based on a, a created identity of thinking things are mine or I could get more or they're kind of partially mine and, and, and so forth. So this is an exploitive mentality that has repercussions. We're interacting with nature in such a way that we're taking for our purpose. We're seeing things in terms of how they will serve the tiny purpose that we've come up with in our head. Hmm? Whereas the world is really working in a different way. It's all working in the service of God. Hmm? Now, So we look at it differently through this exploitive lens based on my false sense of identity and we take the life out of a thing. It's just like you have a, just to use a common example, you have a partner. You know, okay, you, you really feel you need a boyfriend, you know, so like you're like, that's the worst time to look, you know, <laughs> right? Forget it. I'm so needy that I'll, you know, so you're on the take. You're basically on the take. So then you latch on to some guy or some gal and and you, you don't even allow that person to be themselves. They're just what you need for yourself. Hmm? Right? That's, as we know, not a very healthy relationship. Hmm? That could be one of the reasons that relationships don't always endure very long. Hmm? They're problematic. So you've got to come out of that, so to speak. And, and you've got to step back and you've got to learn to love the person for who they are. Hmm? Mom doesn't want her daughter to, you know, ever leave the house, you know, because what's going to happen to her? You know, it's, it's, it's couched in all this protectiveness and all. <laughs> but, you know, really, I don't want her to. I've got a sense of who she is based on my identification with her, but she is her own self. Hmm? And so we kind of take the life out of things and others and so forth by this exploitive mentality. So we have to step back from that. That's what renunciation is about. That's why I say renunciation is the first step in getting really closer to what people really are and being able to love them. Hmm? So, so, to, so we, we, we're seeing the world through this lens and when, we, when we, we're the subject, everything's the object to be used for, for my sake. So when we see a powerful manifestation of nature, it can have an effect. It can just like turn the balance and we can feel like that's the object the subject and I'm the object I'm small I stood on the bank of the ocean and I saw and it was oh just hit me in a certain way how small I am hmm? we need to come to that perspective you see because we are small we are the subject that's true matter is the object that's true. Consciousness is infinitely more valuable in a sense than matter. It matter. What's the meaning of matter? Matter doesn't matter unless there's somebody for it to matter about. In other words, if, 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 if consciousness mattered independent of matter, who would know about it? Right? The mattering, if you will, is on the part of consciousness. It gives the meaning. Hmm? So the subjective element is more important than the objective element 
element of, of, of life. The, 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 the consciousness factor is more important, more significant than the material factor, the objective factor, because it brings matter kind of to life. We invest ourselves in matter. Matter seems to take on a life. The car starts to move because it's got a driver. Hmm? So we animate the world. We turn it on. So we are more important in a sense, but we're very small. Hmm? And in relation to the supreme subject, super subjective, we're really like an object. We're a shakti. Matter is a shakti. And God, Krishna, is the shaktiman, the energetic. Hmm? And we are the energy. So there's a relationship between the energetic and the energy. Hmm? So just as we pick up a thing, a hammer to use, we have to learn to be picked up and used hmm? by God. We have to learn... We, 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 his purpose is the real purpose. Any other purpose is a falsely perceived purpose and it creates a problem. It's just like if you take a part out of a machine, we take a little part off of this recording device and we just throw it out there. And we, you know, what is it separate from its thing? We could figure out something with it. Well, maybe you turn it into a button, sew it on a shirt, you know, or, or something. But if we can connect it back to the machine, then whoo, what it will do? Hmm? How important it becomes, its value. So when we see ourselves independently of the source, then our value is not understood, and we embrace false values. Hmm? It's a recipe for, for suffering. Hmm? It's a problem. Hmm? So, what's talked about in this, this chapter is the idea that when we come in touch with a powerful manifestation of nature, and it creates that kind of moment for us, like, wow, I'm small. Hmm? We should try uh, to develop that. We should see this is a dominant manifestation of nature and the Godhead is represented in this. Hmm? Because why? It makes me feel small. Like I can't just take it for myself. Now the nice thing about this, Krishna mentions the bodies of water, I am the ocean, of immovable, th immovable, th immovable things, I am the Himalayas, of of fishes, I am this, of, you know, there's a whole list of things in there, right? And at the end he says, what? Yat yat vimuti sattvam sri madhu jitam eva He said, but anyway, what's the need of all of this? I've told you about this, Arjuna. I've spoken about myself in this way. Hmm? He said, it's unlimited. Hmm? And he said, this is, all I've spoken about is but a spark of my splendor. He said, uh, what he means by this is, this can be extended uh, unlimitedly. So what's the extension here today? It's not in the Gita, but it is in the Gita. Hmm? I'll give you a new verse for the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? To show you what Bhagavad Gita is. Of trees in California. I am the redwood. Hmm? This is uh, the extension of the, of the idea that he's speaking about. So you walk in this forest and you see these trees and we think, Man, that's a big tree. And then you think, how long has that been there? And Bijaya Kumar says, maybe 2,000 years. And you think, 2,000 years? What has it seen? What has it witnessed? What, 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 is it ha what could it share with me? Hmm? That's happened, the nature of the world. I mean, he's been here since the Buddha. Hmm? 
you know, before Jesus and, uh, and so forth. So and we, we, we get we get inspired. We, and we walk in this forest and like, usually you walk through the forest and it's me and then there's the trees and stuff. And now it's like there's the trees and there's me. Hmm? We, if we're a little sensitive, anybody walks in here, they start to feel a little bit like that, isn't it? Like, wow, I'm small. This is, so to, then to, to develop that idea, to cultivate that, hmm? This is this is what Krishna is speaking about in the Gita. This is how Arjuna, Krishna gives Arjuna a handle on how to start identifying himself, so to speak, with powerful manifestations of nature, and thus getting a different perspective on myself. It's like a Zen, you know, moment. What do they call that? Satori. It's like a Satori. You know, you walk in the forest, and it's like it could just hit you. Like I'm small. I'm not the ob- the, the object. And then there are guys that come in here with chainsaws. You know, that's how bad it gets. Hmm? How much we can become exploiters to the extent that we can't, even a powerful na- manifestation of nature that's meant to really teach us hmm, our smallness. We, we, we try to, we, we're trying to find ourselves because we're big, really. As I said, we turn on the whole show as consciousness. But then they go about it with a chainsaw. I'm big. Cut it down. And build my own house out of it. And a fence around it that nobody can get in. And my kingdom. And then we want to, you know, conquer the seas. Conquer the, the skies. And, and so on. It's all about the self trying to be as big as it is. In a way that becomes very ugly. In other words, to be zen about it again. Small is big, right? Because when we understand our smallness, the one who's actually big can come into focus. When we don't understand how small we are, we have no eye to see Mr. Big. Hmm? <laughs> when we start to change that and look through a different lens, then suddenly we find, where is that Krishna? He's everywhere. Of trees in Northern California. I am the redwood. It's powerful. Hmm? And then we, we, we'll start to see him everywhere and everything. And then we, the, the, the deity that we worship with certain rituals and times, and that's the whole art of, of bhakti, yoga, starts to become universalized. We can come to the temple of Hendy Woods and feel as reverent and as close and so forth. We can, from understanding the, the Godhead in nature and or being inspired in that way, we start to go within. We, go, we find that Paramatma in the heart. Hmm? We get inner experience. We cultivate that. We find our deity in the heart. We cultivate that. We enter into the heart. The heart becomes the, the, the play field then. Hmm? It becomes the playground of Krishna's Leela. So this is the idea that Krishna has given here in this 10th uh, chapter. I thought it would be appropriate to speak about this kind of avatar, vibhuti, it's a type of avatar. Mentioned in the third chapter of Bhagavatam, when avatar tat was discussed there, vibhutis are also mentioned as a type of avatar. We're discussing the avatar, the descent of Krishna in the world. So this is something to help us get a, a, a handle on that. And, and the idea is to go from there. This is a deep theology. Hmm? 
we are not, what would you say, animists? Hmm? This is not, this is not an animism. Animism means, I think, believe the, the, the worship of nature. But it doesn't, in that it doesn't end, if you will, with the worship, worship of nature. Hmm? That's not the end of the, the be-all and end-all of the theology. That's a starting point. Hmm? We may find theologies that, 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 that that's the whole of that. that sh- that's beautiful. That should be appreciated. Hmm? We could get our head into Godi of Aishnamism, which goes so high theologically, hmm? and then just kind of think our way there, which, which really isn't going to get you there. And then we find our regard for nature and is, is absent in that. And then we look at the Native Americans, and they're more spiritual than us. See how they're appreciating it? So this is part of the whole thing, you see. Hmm? This is included in that. Hmm? So we want an integrated kind of uh, uh, understanding of uh, Krishna consciousness, not just a head full of some theory about Rasa and Krishna's best and we're going to go beat everybody on the head, you know, join our sect. This is not sectarian. It's so ironic because you start to speak about Krishna and become more and more specific. Hmm? And you become more and more specific, it starts to sound more like more uh, culturally specific, more sectarian, more limited, and so forth. But specificity hmm, is also required if you are to hone love. Think about it. The more, the more details I know about you, hmm? <laughs> the more I can, I can love you, if you're lovable. Hmm? And if I, lo- I want to know every single detail. So, the specific- so therefore, in the next chapter of the Gita, Krishna goes on with it. He says, I'm this, I'm that. And, and then he says, here, I'll show it to you. <laughs> the Vishvarup Darshan, right? He shows everything's inside of me. And Arjuna is like, just Wow. Hmm? It's incredible. Hmm? He gets this vision. Hmm? And then he wants that to go away because he, can, he can't love it that well. He just goes, whoa. Hmm? And he says, show me again your, your forearm form. And show me that two-arm form. And the words he uses there, we can see, oh, how his love becomes more intensified, thickened. Hmm? The capacity for that is, is as the object is refined hmm, and specified and so forth. It's not, it, so it, it's actually getting bigger. Hmm? So who loves Krishna hmm, really does love everything. Hmm? It's not that Krishna's over here, this little statue or something and everything else. No, he's gone, really gone there and he sees both things. So... Uh, in this way, we heard something today from Krishna about how to how to love him. Any question? Yes. Yeah. Brahman is absolutely him. Krishna is absolute. So, like, what about 
Shakti. Shakti comes from him mm -hmm. in the natural world. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about like animist spirituality. Talking about what? An animist spirituality. Uh -huh. Yeah. Here's to. Um, so, Krishna is not different than his name. Krishna is not different than his form. This is a kind of non-duality idea. It's part of what's a tech, tech, technical aspect of what's, what Advaita or non-duality means. But um, you want to know, what about his Shakti? Now, there are many Shaktis of Bhagwan Sri Krishna. We are a Shakti. Hmm? The, 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 like the ray of the sun is like a Shakti of the sun, if you will, to use that example. So we are certain shakti. It's called tatasta shakti. Then matter is another shakti, maya shakti, for example. There's another, other, use three basic ones. Then there's swarup shakti. Hmm? That's the shakti that governs Krishna's pastimes. Radha is constituted of swarup shakti. Hmm? So what is the relationship between the shakti and Krishna? It's beda bed. Hmm? You ask, is it one? I said, yes, it's one. And it's different, and at the same time. I know that doesn't exactly compute, but so the point is this. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a fire, okay? And then from the fire comes heat and light. So heat and light are the shakti of the fire. Hmm? So are heat and light separate from the fire? No, and yes, and no, something like that. So... Krishna's shaktis, one with him and different. In other words, the shaktis have no independent existence from Krishna. So, they're one with Krishna. In other words, Krishna is himself and his shaktis. It's another way to look at it. Hmm? So, it depends how you look at it. From one angle you look at it, there's no difference. From another side you look, there's a difference. So, when we look, to give you another idea, philosophically, in a purely philosophical mind, there's no difference between you and Krishna, between me and Krishna, between you and me. Because we're all, there's only Krishna. If there's only Krishna and his shaktis, <laughs> there's only one. Who's to blame for anything? In other words, we, we look at it like this. The world, existence is a person. It's just not us. Because the person that we think we are, as I've already explained, is illusory, right? It's based on a false sense of proprietorship. I walk through the world as if I'm the world. Everything's for me. Be crude about it. I'm the center. Hmm? So as we feel illusorily, in an illusory sense, this is the reality, the ultimate reality is just that, that false person that we thought we were, that's not who's the center. It's Krishna. So, the center, hmm, the world, is a per is a being. It's kind of like the extension of the Gaia, you know, concept. The Earth is a, is an organism. It's alive. So we're extending this idea to say, reality is a person. That's not too abstract because we tend to think it is anyway in our illusion, and we think it's me. <laughs> huh? So it's a person. Now, what kind of person is that? Well, it's not like me. The, you know, the, all, all the limitations I have. He's not a taker and so forth. So Krishna means the full, the, the full view of that person. 
Hmm? To see that person that reality is completely. And then there are many other part, partial ways of seeing and so on and so forth. So we are Krishna. That's one point. Hmm? We are Krishna. There's only Krishna. Hmm? Now, if we look, that's from a philosophical perspective. Now, if we look from a theological perspective, hmm? and I say, abhed, I mean philosophical, non-different. If I say bed, I mean theological, different. Hmm? We have one, one philosophy here we're giving, but there may be different expressions of that also. So, someone serves Krishna as a friend, for example. Someone serves Krishna as a lover, right? There's difference. Hmm? But that difference doesn't compromise the, the unity. It's kind of a spiritual illusion. I'm different from Krishna. So then there's a possibility of a relationship. Hmm? You follow? So the Shakti, depends how you look at it, is one with Krishna. And it's, look, look at another side, it's different from Krishna. And it's both at the same time. It kind of depends how, how you look at it. We kind of tend to emphasize the difference between ourselves and Krishna for good reason. Hmm? Um, but sometimes we'll also emphasize the non-difference between ourselves and Krishna. Hmm? For Leela, for Leela, then some sense of difference is there, you can say, but the full sense of unity is there also. The cowards, they think, Krishna's ours. Krishna's mine, as I said earlier. Hmm? Yeah, we're one. Entirely, hmm? they, 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 in a sense, see no difference. But the leela is played out as if there's difference. So the shakti is one with Krishna, as and and different from Krishna at the same time. So okay, now, now so let's say the maya shakti nature, hmm? it's one with Krishna. So that's fine. So shall I worship nature? Is that the same as worshiping Krishna? Right. We were talking about animism. Hmm? We worship nature. Well, I get the same result uh, by worshiping the redwood as I will by worshiping the deity of Krishna. Yes, it's possible. Hmm? But you'll probably need some philosophical help, some, some teaching to kind of get that perspective. It's possible that you can worship any aspect of nature even. What to speak of a big thing like a redwood, you can you can worship a, a tiny, um, you know, uh, uh, whatever, uh, a seed. Okay, very good. Hmm? You can worship a seed. But you should be thinking like this. The seed is, is the magic of Krishna. Hmm? Inside it, he put a whole redwood. Wow. Hmm? I worship the seed. Hmm? That this is a, this this is something. This is something about that person that reality is. That's not me. It's absolutely inconceivable. Hmm? And I'll take the incense and worship the seed. But I'll be, you understand something like that. So it's a little bit of a development on the animistic, you know, theology, if you will. Hmm? 
I don't think that animism in and of itself is a complete, gives the whole theological picture. Hmm? So, but it's possible, and you think about that. So you can take a seed, and if, you, if you're Krishna conscious, or you're really going strong in that direction, you'll be fascinated by every aspect of nature. This is the whole idea you find in Hinduism. There's a god for this, there's a goddess for that. Every, everything in nature, it means everything's worshipable. Hmm? And we think it's some partial manifestation of, of the full personhood of Krishna is, is the consciousness behind that, behind the sun, Surya, behind the wind, Vayu, the different gods, and, and Durga, behind the whole of matter, for example. Hmm? So, you know, then you have these people that get involved in the Krishna consciousness and Prabhupada sometimes will lay things out in a real black and white way. That's useful. That will help us. But then some people can abuse that and misuse that and become a sectarian Hare Krishna or something. And every other god is bad and every other goddess is bad and don't worship them. And and uh, they're just worshiping a tree. What do they know? You know, you got to put this thing together in a thoughtful way with good good guidance, hearing and chanting. And then you see... Because the whole world becomes worshipable, worshipable to you, even the tiniest particle. Well, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. You become worshipable by everyone. Everyone starts to really like you. They think, wow, she's really nice. Hmm? This is Ruchi. In Ruchi Bhakti, the, the whole world starts to like that devotee. There'll always be somebody who doesn't, but for the, for the most part, the good people... <laughs> The good people, they start to like that person. Become, she becomes, he becomes likable. Hmm? Because why? He's worshipping. He really, sincerely is worshipping. The guru is worshipping the disciples. He's thinking, I'm learning so much from them. They're asking these questions. And I'm saying this. I never said this before. Hmm? It's a great point. Wow. I'm liking that so much. Hmm? I'll keep that with me. Hmm? So he, he thinks like that. He feels like that. And so then he becomes popular. He's not looking for popularity. He's only trying to put Krishna in the center. And you know what happens? Krishna says, you get in the center. Hmm? Guide people to the center. You, you, this, this way. And he stands out. Then they put him up on the log, you know. <laughs> and he says, I'd rather be down there with all of you. Something like that. So... So, but, okay, Krishna, if you like, I'll sit on the log, you know, and pretend I'm more important. Hmm. Would you like us to put this in the temple as a new reality? <laughs> That's a nice one, yeah. It's a nice one. So, something like that. Hmm. To become worshipful. You know, he's worship, worshipful, worshipable. By becoming worshipful, full of worship for others, then, so to speak. And the worship, you know, turns to love, so then you become one with everything. It's so nice. It's, this is so much more beautiful than the simple idea we're all one. It's just so, like, simplistic comparatively. It's, it's not untrue, but there's just much more to be said, and it's so much, it makes the thing much, it's a much more charming form of Vedanta. And appropriately so, Krishna is the god of that Vedanta, and he's charming. So you can argue Vedanta or different philosophies with different people. How far are you going to get? If a person's really schooled in their particular tradition and so forth, you know, philosophy has its limitation. You can only speak about that which is beyond words and mind to a point. 
and any way of trying to explain it is going to have some gap, some limitation. But the trump card for Gaudius is, well, okay, you got your point philosophically, we've got ours, but Krishna's more charming. They have to go, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> End of the story. Yeah, because, again, then we go wax philosophically, and we're all after charm, isn't it? Beauty is what we want. Beauty, charm, hmm? satyam, sundaram. Hmm? You have to say, yeah, that's what we're all looking for. Then you come to the right place. Bhagavan Shri Krishna Ki Jai. Another question? Yes, just a... get out of the way. It's the best way. How, how, how can we you know, take that enjoying spirit away from that uh, propensity? We have that propensity to be in the center. How, do we take how the best way to get out of the center, get out of the way, so to speak, is to connect yourself with someone who's not in the way. Sadhu Sangha, that's the best way. Attach yourself to some, some sadhu. Hmm? Who's, um, who's, by, by whose being in the center, the actual center, we get centered, something like that. That's probably the most powerful of all. You, you want a, you know, a silver bullet, right? To kill that, you know, uh, uh, that self-centeredness in us. Well, to be in, 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 in my own experience, to have that kind of association that is, is the most powerful thing. It's more powerful than the practices that that person may, may give to us because our ability to, to, to apply ourselves in those may, may be limited. So, so therefore, sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha, sarva shastrakoi, lava matra, sadhu sangha, sarva siddhi hoi. A little time spent here is time well spent. Indeed, you had a little bit... Lava matra means like a fraction of a second. It said, by a fraction of a second of sadhu, real sadhu sangha, course of your life can be changed. That's what happened to all of us. We don't know what point in time we had that sangha for a moment. In just a brief way, maybe even as, a, as an animal, the sadhu was sitting hmm, and the cobra came to attack him and you came along and went, woo, woo. <laughs> chased that cobra away. And so some, some Krishnas think, oh, that's, he's not getting in the way here. He's at, you know, just with a little bark, which he does automatically anyway. See how generous the sadhu sangha is. That starts us on the course, and then it's gradually honed. So the hone the sadhu sangha to keep good association. That's kind of like the silver bullet in the whole thing. And then, of course, the sadhu gives, says, chant like this, do like that, that advice, and then we, and we, we put it in practice. It's a whole, you know, it's it's a, it's lifetimes of, uh, of effort. But if you were to ask me, as you have, what's the one thing, that's what comes to my mind. So let's stay together. Let's, you don't have to leave. And I don't want you to because you're such a sadhu. I want your association. But it's difficult, obviously. We're conditioned in a certain way for eons. And so it's, it's not going to happen overnight. But we get a little glimpse here and there. We break through. 
You can try things, like you can try to serve some people that you don't like. Hmm? Clean their shoes one day. It's like we leave our shoes at the door, and you go and clean that person's shoes. And then you, you do things like that, and you, and, you, and you don't let them know who did it. Hmm? That's very powerful. Hmm? There was a guy, I don't know who it is yet, he used to put $108 in our bank account. Hmm? And I thought, who's that? Who is that? Hmm? He doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to be known. I want to know them. Hmm? I want to go there. I want to meet that person. So it just, just brings that uh, Krishna's attention to us. So, so we can serve and not attach being acknowledged for the service hmm? as well. Hmm? That will be, uh, be, be helpful. And we'll be acknowledged. Hello. Hmm? So, selfless service. It's hard to overcome our exploiting tendency. Our identification with the body has us on the take. We need to maintain this sense of existence. We have to take, we have to kill to live on some level. Even by breathing, we're killing something, right? Hmm? So, how to overcome all that? How to be truly, you know, nonviolent? It's, it's, a, it's quite an art. That's what yoga is about. How to transcend the identification with matter that has us in this predicament of survival of the so-called fittest. Uh, really, you can't, that's material scenario, right? The stronger you become, the more beastly you become, the better you will be uh, uh, equipped to survive. There's some truth to that, but nobody thinks that, that um, Hitler was more evolved than Mother Teresa. So what does it mean to evolve? Hmm? If you could live longer than everybody else by beating them all up, then what kind of existence would you have? How happy would you be? Hmm? So survival will come from the kindest, who becomes the most kind, hmm? the most giving. Love is about giving, and we know that when we give, there's some getting. It's intangible, it's invisible. Like I say, we... You can't hold it up, I gave and I got this. That's on a low level, you might get the reward. Hmm? But then when you really get into it, you don't show up for the reward ceremony. Hmm? You, don't, you don't care to have the metal pinned on your chest. You feel like, that's the least I could do, hmm? to give. But when you, you give, you grow. The self contracts by taking. Our sense of self contracts by taking and it expands by giving. So such is the nature of love. Our sense of... It's like if you love... When you love your neighbor, for example, your sense of your domain expands into their yard. <laughs> Take down the fence. It's not required anymore. Right? Hmm? Sukasa mikasa. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So love makes your, your, your domain bigger. It makes you bigger. You didn't really grow in size, but you grew in, in spirit and in a sense of, of, uh, uh, of, of all that you could be, something like that. So the self expands by giving. Hmm? It's, it's not logical because you think, okay, I've got $100. If I give away one, I'll have less. I'll have 99. If I give away 10, I'll have 90. That's the that appears to be the math of life, but the mystery of life 
the trans-rational reality that life is, the mysticism of life that you want to take out by math, it speaks very loudly to us in this example. What is that? That by giving, I grow. By giving, I become more. I don't become less. I become more. It doesn't match up reasonably, which means life transcends reason. The full picture of life is not unreasonable, but it picks up where reasoning leaves off. In modern society, in Western society, for so long we've placed reason on the altar. Hmm? Yes, reason should help us to wean ourselves from, an, from, from animality. The call of the wild just feels good, I'll just run and do it, whatever it is. You know, if you see a beautiful girl at the mall, you just jump on her or something like that. We think, wait a minute, you know, this isn't civilized. So reason is supposed to help us to wean us from animality, from animality to humanity. But from humanity, we're supposed to go to spirituality. Hmm? The full, to, to, to experience the fullness of our human potential hmm? is, to, is to transcend the limitations of our humanity. Hmm? What is humanity? It's a combination of matter and consciousness. There's the objective side of ourself, matter, and then there's us who, that we experience, and then there's us, the experiencer. That mystical thing inside that says, I'm happy, I'm sad. How do you measure that? It's red, it's blue. Like I said before, there may be so many photons and certain refraction of life that makes red but the feeling red that's a whole other thing hmm? red experience this is consciousness that's the self we don't posit a soul we say soul is consciousness you don't have to believe in it it's right there it's experience how can you not believe in it just a different way of thinking about it. In, in science of mind a lot of people like to think about it like consciousness is just matter they can't demonstrate that. It's a mystery. Hmm? You know, they want to make their life kind of boring, <laughs> take the mystery out of it. But it requires consciousness to do that. Even to try to, to, to dismiss consciousness as being causal and make it matter, consciousness is required. Consciousness is behind everything. Hmm? So, Anyway, and then it will, you will realize this and you will experience this by giving. And so, you, how to hone giving. That's the whole secret of life. You can give here, you can give there, you can give with the attachment to getting something back, uh, tagged on to it. So, how to hone that. To, to stop asking for something back and find the place that you can give where you can, that can take unlimitedly. Hmm? I could give unlimitedly to something, but it couldn't take unlimitedly, then I can't really give unlimitedly. Let's take the body as an example. The stomach is the taker. Hmm? The hand also takes, to an extent. The tongue also takes. So I take with the food in my hand, and I give it to the tongue. The tongue sends it to the stomach. So someday the, 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 the hand starts talking to the tongue and says, you know, why are we always giving this to the stomach? I'll give you half and I'll keep half. Hmm? You can taste it, with a, and I'll feel it. Hmm? <laughs> so we go on strike. We're not going to serve the stomach anymore. Hmm? 
It's just another part of the body. What happens? The tongue, you know, whatever. You know, it wilts. The hand wilts. The tongue. So they have to give up. They have to give to the stomach. Now, what happens when they give to the stomach? Well, who the hell the stomach think he is? That he should take everything. Hmm? Well, because he's the center. He is the taker. And when he takes, because he's the, he is the proprietor. He is the owner. Everything does belong, work for, for him. Then when he takes it, he mystically transforms it in such a way that it goes everywhere. And the tongue is nourished. The hand is nourished in a way they couldn't be otherwise. So when we find the actual center and we give there, then it all comes back. That's what the center does. Because we're all parts of the center. We're the circumference of the center. And when the center is nourished, the circumference is nourished as well. So give everything to God is to give everything to yourself. That's the idea. So this is a yoga. I mean, it's a system of how to hone that, really. Hmm? That giving tendency. This is no big philosophical thing. This is a, we're just playing out what some truth that, truths that are universally accepted in human society. What I'm saying is, to be selfish is unbecoming. Everybody accepts it. Hmm? What about the selfish people, you'll say? They also accept it. On some level, don't they? Thieves rob the bank and they say, okay, let's divide the loot honestly. Hmm? Let's fairly divide it, okay? So you can't get away from this. This is, this is like a universal, this is the idea that morals have an ontological hook. They're rooted ontologically. There are things, principles, I don't mean moral detail, but there are principles that human society accepts universally. You can't get away from it. Hmm? You, you, the, the, even the, the worst thief hmm, believes in being honest <laughs> on some level. Hmm? So, so then if, if, if selfishness is unbecoming, then giving is, 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 is beautifying. Hmm? So then we talk there, okay, this is all I'm talking about. Am I, am I trying to convert you to some other dogma or something here? No. You already accept that. You already don't, you don't even believe in it. You live it. Hmm? It's your reality. It's not a question of positing some belief and then, and then maybe somebody could, could, could crash your belief. It's your existence. It's the nature of being. In the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, for example, we, we don't find a doctrine on believing we talk, find a doctrine on the nature of being. And when we read about it, we think, yeah, that's how I be. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's like. Hmm? Hmm? And so then you, you hone that. And what are the ramifications of that? Hmm? that? That giving is beautifying. So then, then we teach how to systematically come to that unconditional giving. Giving without attaching anything to, to get any getting to it, and by centering it really on the, on the center. Because if I give off center, I'm not going to have the full equation of giving. Hmm? So when Krishna speaks in the Gita about himself as the center, this is what he's being talked about, the nature of the center. Hmm? That's why Krishna is depicted as a taker, as an enjoyer. Hmm? This idea... So... <laughs>
This is this is ideas. This is what self-realization is about. This is what God-realization is about. Hmm? I think the poetry, the poetry of it all. Poetry. This is an appropriate language for talking about God. Some math is there, some philosophy, but some poetry. Poetry, as I said, it seeks to to speak to us about the extended possibilities of nature and things. You see, things have an extended possibility hmm? because we have extended ourselves into them. Hmm? When consciousness extends itself into a thing, that thing's possibilities uh, become, hmm, well, all that they could, all that could be. Hmm? Consciousness underlying everything. So to be in touch with that. <laughs> yeah. And so poetry, well, what can we, what can, what, we, that, that, that language is invoked because it's a participatory language. Poetry, when we think, talk about a thing poetically, we, we foster the possibility of, it's a, it's a, it's a as I say, it's a way of um, participating in life. Hmm? Math is a way of describing life, but it lends itself to trying to control matter, control the world. Hmm? Poetry speaks about it's bigger. It's bigger. The moon has wings and flies across, flew across the sky tonight. And so we need that. Hmm? Because what, what maya, Sanskrit word maya means, it means illusion, but it also means to measure. So... What, my, what illusion is, we try to measure. We bring everything within our grasp. If you can measure it, means you've controlled it. Hmm? I've measured it. Okay, I figured that out. It's this long. It's this wide. This is what science is, measuring everything. Now, there's some use for that. But we can't measure the whole thing. That's where they go wrong. The whole thing cannot be measured. Hmm? So we, this, this, so this t- tendency to try to bring everything within the fist of my intellect and understand it is to put myself in the center. Hmm? This is this is the problem. This is material existence. So to come out from that, this is the, our ideal. So we've talked for some time. What time is it? Put, quarter to two. Take a measurement. <laughs> quarter to two. So. I guess we'll stop there, huh?